So you guys, last week, we saw the Holy Spirit fell on this group of around 120 disciples, right, that had been in the upper room for these 10 days, just kind of up there doing their thing, doing what Jesus had asked them to do, right? He had said to them, hey, you know, as he was going up in the air, right, we know that the book of Luke tells us, the gospel of Luke tells us that he was blessing them, but what else was he saying? Yo, go back and wait for the Holy Spirit. And that's what they've been doing. They've been waiting. Remember, you guys, that this was the day of Pentecost, this was the day of Pentecost that, that this happened, 10 days after Jesus had gone back to heaven. And while these disciples had been praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive, the question I have for us is, do you think they had any clue what, how this was going to look when it fell? No, I don't think they had a clue what it was going to look like. I don't, how could have they? They don't know what that's going to look like, right? We, we don't know what that's going to look like, and so how would they? And so here's the deal. They're there, and they're waiting. And we talked last week about the fact that what would have happened, you guys, if this room would have been full of what I will call American Christians who like their McDonald's Christianity, right? They're like, well, I mean, we've been here for five days. Maybe Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe he just wasn't really real in his promise. And so they're like, I think I'm just going to call this quits. I'm going home. Sound familiar? Sadly, too familiar. What would God have done if only five people were still there on day 10? Here's the cool part about God. He would have fell. The Holy Spirit would have fell on the five people that were there. Here's the awesome part. What would God have done with those five people? The same thing he did with the 120 that are there. Isn't that awesome? God is faithful, man. He's good. If he says something, he means it. Does he mean it when we think he does? Not most of the time. I found that to be true. How about you? For me, I can tell you, man, I go to God. I'm like, Lord, what do you want to do here? Next day I get up, I'm like, oh, Lord, how do you want to deal with this? Keep going. God, what do you think? What do you, what's going on here, Lord? What's the way this is going to go? And sometimes it takes days and days to answer. Sometimes. Sometimes it takes weeks. How many of y'all got a few prayers that you're waiting months and months or maybe even years? Right? God is no less faithful, you guys. He does have an answer. He is answering. Wait. Sometimes it's the answer. We don't like that answer. We don't. And in America, you guys, we've gotten too quick at my way now. Right? That's how we want God to answer. Kind of like we want going through the McDonald's drive-thru. I don't know. We got our Wendy's up in Rochester. I do not recommend the Wendy's in Rochester. You will not get it your way now. You'll get it whenever you get it, and who knows what you're getting. (laughs) Sorry to say. Forgive me, Lord, if I just dogged out an entire restaurant. But that particular one, not so good. So the truth is, you guys, is that's kind of how we have our prayer life, don't we, as Americans? It's kind of how we are, right? Like a lot of times, I'm just, I'm I'm guilty of it, you guys. It's like, it's hard to keep going back. But I want us to think about one little thing here real, real quick. When a kid asks for candy, what does that look like, all you parents? Is it like a one-time, like, hey, one... I want some candy, Dad. Can I get that, Mom? Can I get that, Dad? And then they're like, you're like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. We can't. And they're like, okay, Father, thank you very much. (laughs) No. And worse yet, and I said this in first service, and I was the only one, apparently, that had parents like this. Worse yet is this answer as a kid, maybe. Didn't you hate that answer? Exactly. That's in my family, whenever my parents said maybe, they meant no. They just didn't have the courage or the guts to tell me no. 
right? And I said that in first service. I was like, that, that meant no in my family. And everyone else was like, mm. And I'm like, really? I'm the only one? My parents were that bad? But thank you. I, listen, here's the truth, though. Here's the truth, though. Even if the answer is no, a lot of times, what do kids do? Are you sure? Really? Well, what? I, I know I asked for a whole pack of gum. Can I just have this one little piece? It's only five cents. I can get this piece of gum, right? Like, don't they? That's, can I just encourage you guys? How does God tell us? How did Jesus tell us he wants to come to him? Like a child. He wants us to keep asking. He wants us to keep pressing in. He wants us to continually seek him all the time. If we do that, you guys, we would have been in this group of 120, wouldn't we? Because we'd be like, God, I don't know what you're waiting on, and I don't know what's going on, but you promised me this, and I'm waiting on it. And I'm going to show up every day, and I'm just going to keep seeking and keep asking and keep waiting, God, because that's the thing. And guys, I just want to encourage you. I think that God needs more of that from a lot of us because here in America, and yes, I am dogging out American Christians because I can tell you this. If you, it's why I highly recommend going on missions trips. If you go to Africa and you watch them there praying for real prayer like this, Lord, we need rice because there hasn't been food for three days. I promise you they're praying and they're seeking and they're asking and they're not stopping. And God has continually provided for them. And you'll hear the testimonies and the blessings that they have. Why? Because they didn't give up. Americans, we could learn a thing or two. But here they are. They're asking for these 10 days. And when it happened, you guys, it was such a powerful and supernatural event that there was no doubt that the Holy Spirit had arrived. Remember last week, we read about it, right? What happened? Man, it was like the sound of a freight train running through the place. It was the sound of a rushing wind. It was like, oh, right? I don't know what it sounded like, but let's just go with it. That's what it sounded like, right? It was this crazy sound. It was this overwhelming moment. And then it says that tongues of fire were visible on every person, right? I don't know what that looked like either, but I mean, that's what they saw. That's what happened. And then they started speaking in a language, in languages, should I say, that they did not understand or know. To them, you guys, it was completely unintelligible. They were like, I mean, think about this. Imagine the scene. Take it in for a moment. I don't want to stay here too long because we got more message to get to. But you guys... Another thing in America is that we are too afraid to let the Holy Spirit move. We are. Church, I don't want that to be us. And we're going to talk more about what that looks like because I also don't want the other end where it's all emotionalism and craziness. But the reality is, you guys, is that think about this for a moment. Think about what that looked like in there. They're praying. They're asking God, oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we are waiting upon you. Lord, we want that, what you've promised to us. And then they hear, oh, and they're looking around and like, oh, what is going on? And then they're like, what is going on? I'm guessing that this was a bit crazy for them, a bit overwhelming for them in that, mo- in that particular moment, in that one instant This was something that they were like, whoa, right? But those that were outside the room, what did they hear? They heard praise and honor to God in the language that they understood, coming from these folks that should never have been able to speak the language to begin with. And we saw that there were these two different reactions to what they heard. Some thought they were drunk, right? Some of them were like, ah, they must have tied one on already this early in the morning, right? And cynically dismissed the whole affair. And we talked about how completely ridiculous that statement was on its face, right? It would be like, 
and we talked about this last week, it would be like an astrophysicist going and speaking to a junior high child uh, and that junior high child giving them all of this knowledge on astrophysics that there's no possible way that that child would ever know. And then the astrophysicist being like, boy, you must be drunk. It's stupid. It's the most idiotic response. It doesn't make any logical sense. Like literally logic has gone the way of the dodo in that thought process. And yet the reality is, you guys, many people today dismiss the truth of God with the same level of dismissive ignorance. They choose to be like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you say that's God doing that, but I actually think it was karma. Okay? Or the best one, I love this whenever people say this, like, man, the universe is just really saw fit to just bless you today. Like, no, the universe wants to kill me. Go to outer space without anything on, you'll die. Mm -hmm. By the way, Mother Earth also wants to kill you. (laughs) Go hug a lion. (laughs) The Earth is not your friend. It wants to end you. That's why we build houses, to protect ourselves from the wildlife, right? Because I'm telling y'all, look, we get turkeys in our yard. There's some days, and they're like, and they get all buffed up. I'm like, y'all got it. You're good. They kind of freak me out, man. If you've ever been with a rooster in a pen, in a chicken pen, I'm really afraid of a a turkey and what they might do, because roosters will tear you to bits. We had a baseball bat in my cousin, my uncle's, my great uncle's thing. Sorry, it's the truth, man. That rooster be like, ah, la, 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 la. you'd be like, bank. <laughs> Stupid roosters. Sorry. <laughs> They're mean. Those roosters. Okay, the second reaction we saw to this whole situation, though, I believe was a sincere one. And it was people that looked and heard these people speaking, and they're like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't, this doesn't logically work itself out. What is going on here? That's a great question. Phenomenal question. If you're here today and you're like, what the heck is happening right now here? Great question. Keep coming back. Keep finding out. That's what it's about, right? Come and see. So let's dig in. Verse 14 of chapter two, starting Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost here. He said this. It says this, I should say. But Peter Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So you guys, Peter and the rest of the disciples hear the commotion outside and they notice how the people outside the window have noticed and have kind of stopped and are starting to talk and they're responding. And they need you to hear a couple things. Do you notice that there's no more indication that the tongues are continuing? They've stopped. Why? The tongues have ceased at this point. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not going to work against himself. I need you to hear that. It's an important point. The Holy Spirit's not going to work against himself. The Holy Spirit did what he did by when he arrived, he had them speaking in different languages. He had things happening. A crowd is now gathered. Peter was going to get up and proclaim the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit will not work against himself. It's an important point to keep in mind because, again, one of those things we see in churches sometimes is this utter chaos of everybody speaking in tongues and all this stuff happening all at the same time. It's not right. It's not biblical. Read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, right? 
That's what they were doing in that church. And Paul's like, yo, stop. Not stop for everything. Learn how it's supposed to look. Walk in the spirit, not in your own emotion, right? All this ceased at this moment. Not forever, just in this moment, right? Because Peter was going to get up and talk. There was no longer need a need in that particular moment for that to continue happening now that the word was going to be taught by Peter. So they stand up, they go to the window, these 11, right? And remember, Matthias has now replaced Judas, so that's where the other 11 are. If you guys kind of have lost that train, Judas is is long gone at this point. And they stand up at the window to address a a crowd, and Peter speaks on behalf of the rest of the disciples, now under the power of the Holy Spirit. Key difference, key difference, you guys, He tells everyone that he says this to him. He's like, listen to what I have to say. Heed my words. Does that sound like Peter? I think it does. Sounds a lot like Peter. But what we're going to read next isn't at all like Peter. He was not speaking with false bravado here like he is so notoriously known for. We saw plenty of of it in the Gospels, didn't we? Remember at the trial of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? He told him before that, like, look, Jesus, listen, these other freaks, they're going to hit the road. But me, I'm your ride or die. I'm with you to the end. And what did Jesus reply back to him? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. And then he did. We see all this false bravado, this, this self kind of aggrandizement in Peter before the Holy Spirit is not what we're going to read about here. We see a different Peter. This man that had denied Jesus three times, that was getting ready to go back to fishing after Jesus had died. Do you remember that? He's like, well, I don't know what this was all about. This was all a total waste of my time. Let's go do what I already know how to do and go back to fishing. And then he saw Jesus on the shore, didn't he? With some fish already there. Who knows what Jesus did there? Like, come on, little fishies. You guys are going to just be our food today. I don't know what that looked like. But there was fish already on the fire. He sees that. He comes up. He eats alongside of him. And what did Jesus do? Do you love me, Peter? Do you agape me, Peter? And this is the first real sign of humility in Peter. In the Greek, you know what Peter says back? You know I phileo you, Lord. In other words, I'm not perfect. I kept trying to act like I was, but I wasn't. So I'm not going to tell you a lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you as much as I can. I love you as a brother. I love you as much as I physically can, but I am not capable of perfect love. And Jesus says a second time, do you agape me, Peter? And he's like, I phileo you, Lord. And what's he say? What's Jesus saying every time after that? Tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And then the third time Jesus replies, he's like, do you phileo me? And Peter's like, you know I do. I phileo you, Lord. I love you. Jesus restoring Peter. We see a different Peter here, don't we? Mm -hmm. Humbled and broken. Not walking in his own self-confidence anymore. Speaking in the confidence of God is what we see here, you guys, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins by pointing out the absurdity of many of their cynical response, right? He's like, "Uh, yo, it's 9 a.m., (laughs) y'all. People don't drink at 9 a.m. around these parts. Like, maybe you do, but we don't. That's not what we're doing. It's 9 a.m. We are not drunk. We are not drinking like you're saying we are. He's laying it out for everyone that was so dismissive and cynical. You guys, do you understand that they had lost all logical sense? Do you also understand that this wasn't 
some weird random thing that they were bringing up. Listen, what was Peter? A fisherman, right? Most scholars believe that the fishermen were like by far the roughest crowd you could be a part of. Most of the disciples were part of the roughest crowd that you could be a part of. And then we had a smattering, right? We had one tax collector, the one that nobody wanted to be around. We had Simon the Zealot. Do you know what zealots were? Assassins. Who knows how many people Simon had killed in the process before he came to Christ, right? There's a lot of weird people in this group. And so they're there and they're like, are you getting drunk? Listen, scholars believe and know that even the fishermen had kind of a standard They weren't just out at the bar as soon as they got off work, working all night long. They would go home and get some rest before they went and tied one on. And so he's basically saying like, dude, this isn't normal for anybody. So why would you think that? Right? Verse 16 through 21 says this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You guys, this prophecy from Joel is amazing. And what was Peter doing? Well, I want to talk about one thing. What is the first thing that we see here from Peter that we haven't seen before? He goes right to the word. He's not up there talking in his own power and in his own strength. He's not looking to Jesus and being like, look, I know y'all, I know you said, Jesus, that you're going to go die and rise again, but I don't like that plan. So let's just not have that one being spoken about because I got bigger things for you. I got something different for you. And then what did Jesus have to say to Peter then? Get behind me, Satan. We don't see that here. What we see is him saying, under the power of the Holy Spirit, he's like, this is what we've read about, you guys. This is the thing. Totally different. For anyone that's been walking with the Lord any amount of time, isn't it amazing? Listen, I have really bad ADHD. I went to school for this stuff, but do you know how much scripture memory I've done? Not much because I suck at it. I stink at this. But do you know what's so cool? How often God puts things in my mind or general addresses, right? What I mean by the addresses, it'll be like, I mean, it's somewhere in the gospel of Matthew. Let's go look. And we find it. God does that. That's the Lord. I, trust me, I know it's not me. I know it's not me. John 14, 6 took me forever to memorize, y'all, and that is an easy verse. (laughs) Do you understand? Isn't it cool how God does that, how the Holy Spirit just puts Scripture on your mind, that that's the thing that you go to? Because it's the most powerful thing. Your thoughts and your inclinations about a certain subject are not even remotely as important as God's Word on the subject. Amen? Amen? So that's where Peter goes. He begins to explain to everyone what they had just heard, and he starts off by going straight to the word. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter points everybody to the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. And here we read from the prophet Joel, a prophecy that in the last days, God would pour out upon all flesh his Holy Spirit. 
In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I want you to hear this. Notice that Peter, in verse 16, didn't say, oh, this is the entire fulfillment of the prophecy. Here it is. You like it? Good. We read in this whole scripture, as we read through, we can see that obviously not all of this has been fulfilled right here in this moment. This was the start of the fulfillment, you guys. He wasn't saying this to them and saying like, here it is. Here's the end of it. This is what Joel was waiting on. What he said was this. What Joel uttered here, what the prophet said here was the beginning of what? The last days. The last days. Notice, you guys. In other words, Peter was saying, like, this is just the beginning, y'all. This is not the completion. This is the start of this. Let's look deeper at what all this means. Let's reread verse 17 and 18. It says this, And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see or shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in other words, even on the lowest of the low, according to you people, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. You guys, the last days that Joel was speaking of, I need you to hear this, it wasn't a specific day or set of days. Not in the, not in the sense that we think. I've heard a lot of times where people are like, you know, I mean, back in the 40s, everybody thought the world was going to go away and that Jesus was going to come back. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Paul writes about the fact that Jesus was going to return. Yep. Why? Because we've been in the last days from this moment till now. And we'll be in the last days until the last day. (laughs) It's a season. It's the final season, y'all. We're in it. And I need us to get our head around that. Because again... We've got to get rid of this McDonald's mentality of Christianity. God is a patient God. Aren't you happy? Listen, I'm thankful that he's tarried till now, but I'll tell you what I'm really, really, really thankful for, that he tarried until after I put the knife down that I was going to use to slip my wrist. And after all that, whenever my friends were willing enough to be bold with me and say, what is it going to take for you? I keep telling you about who Jesus is. You keep hearing this from different pastors and you, what is it going to take? And I sat in a parking lot of a, of a, of a church and I prayed the prayer of salvation and my prayer was super simple. I suck at this. God help me. And he has every day since. I'm thankful we waited till then, aren't you? God is a patient God. Don't mistake his patience, you guys, and his tarrying to think that he, somehow he's, he's forgotten. He's also all-knowing. He knows the final day. He knows it very well. He knows exactly the moment it's going to happen. And to be honest, it's really not our concern at the end of the day. We have one concern. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But in these last days, you guys, there's only two types of people. From this point in history that we're reading about until today and until the end of days, listen, there are two types of people. Those that have understood and accepted that Jesus died and rose again to save their sorry butts from their sins and those that have yet to. And by the way, you guys, if you're here today, and I know many of you are, and you're in the camp that says, yes, I'm saved, it is not us versus them. It is us hoping to make our team bigger. You need to hear that. I don't want to be a church that's like, oh my gosh, did you see that person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear you talking right now too, and it's really ugly. 
doesn't mean there isn't sin. We're all sinners. It doesn't mean we're like, hey, everything's good. Just do whatever you want. No, don't do whatever you want. Do what the Bible says. But we're all in process of growing in that, aren't we? Have you all arrived? I haven't. There's these two types of people. And now I'm going to say one other thing that I think from this day forward there is within the church. There are also two types of people. Those that are willing to receive and, un- and understand that, th- that they need more of the Holy Spirit in their lives and those that are all set. Oh, come on, New Englanders. Y'all are notorious for that. No, I'm upset. That whole thing with the Holy Spirit doing something crazy through me? Mm, no. God's faithful. He's like, okay, that's fine. But you miss out. You're not any less saved. You're just missing out. You're like, man, wow, that person's testimony is amazing. Wow, what God did through their life is amazing. Why doesn't God do that through me? And he's like, hey, let's do this. Yeah, no, I'm all set. Okay, great. Wow, this person. Where's the core? What's missing? You not being open to what the Holy Spirit's doing. That's what's missing. That's the two types of Christians that there are today. And there's only two types. Those that are open to the Spirit. Notice I'm not saying perfect. Nah, none of that. (laughs) None of us are perfect. None of us have it all figured out. If you do, please come up because way better than me. But there are those people that are saying, Holy Spirit, move through me. God, I'm, I'm submitting my life to you. Have your way in me. Those people get to see a fruit that leaves them standing in awe and wonder of what God just did. And I freely admit, It is slightly terrifying when you start doing it. Why? Because it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's beyond you. That's the point, y'all. So if you want to keep being all set, well, that's great. God loves you and he's got you. And at the same time, you're missing out on something so much more and something so much better. And notice I'm not talking about specifically a certain gift of the Spirit or any. I'm just talking about being open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do through your life, guys. Warren Wearsby said this about this particular moment. He said, It was indeed the dawning of a new age, the last days in which God would bring to completion his plan of salvation for mankind. Jesus had finished the great work of redemption, and nothing more had to be done except to share the good news with the world, beginning with the nation of Israel. Do you know why I believe we're still in the last days? What's God's call for us? Go and share the good news. Go out into the world, tell people about Jesus, and live your life for him. That's our mission statement. Go, tell, live. Same one. Why? Because God's still doing the same thing in this season. And we're not done yet. That's the thing we worry about. Not when he's coming back. How God wants to use us to bring other people onto his team, so to speak. That's it. Pretty simple. Right? Verse 19. I promise you, we're getting out of here on time. It says this, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So this is one of the reasons that I believe that this is a season that Joel was speaking of because have you guys noticed the uh, sun just disappearing and going completely dark yet? I haven't. Have you ever noticed that the blood or that the moon has like become completely blood? No, or looks like blood. 
No. I have had some people argue that that is talking about a lunar eclipse. Well, you guys ever see that? Is it lunar eclipse or solar eclipse? Whatever one makes the blood, the moon look red and the sun kind of goes black. Flip over with me to Revelation 6.12. By the way, I believe that the book of Revelation has not yet happened, right? It's future. I think this is one of the things that Joel was speaking of specifically. In chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 12, this is what John had written down for us. It says, when, we, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood. Now, if you really are like, well, I mean, you know, I've got a different uh, thought on that, Pastor. Well, that's great. I mean, you're not alone. There's people in our church that have different thoughts and that's okay. It doesn't affect our salvation of what your eschatology looks like because at the end of the day, I, here's what I believe. Two things. Number one, if you are here today and you know that Jesus Christ died and rose again, you can have whatever eschatology you want because however it all plays out, we're all going to be like, hey, that's how it happened. I believe in the rapture, so I think we're all going to be like, hey, that's how it happened. You were wrong. I also believe this. There's a song that I love dearly by this guy named Gable Price that sings this. What if we get to heaven and realize we were both wrong? Because I think that we don't have him entirely figured out, do we? And so I'm okay with the things that are not salvific, that don't affect someone's salvation. I'm okay with an openness to another thought there, even though I have a very strong opinion on how it's supposed to be. It doesn't mean I'm 100% right, and I'm okay with that. Does that make sense? But here's what I do know. I don't think this is speaking of a lunar eclipse or any type of eclipse like that. You know why? Because some people like to try to like to me, twist this scripture revelation into something that makes more sense to them. And so they're like, well, this really isn't in the future. And this isn't that. And this isn't this. And this isn't that. Well, okay, that's great. You could do that with this one verse, but let's read verse 13 there. It says this, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Have you seen that happen yet? I have not. No. They're not falling to the earth. They're burning up in the atmosphere. I hear you, but it's not the same thing. We're talking about decimation. We're talking about obliteration. Now, here's what I do think. We may cause it ourselves because if we keep smacking asteroids with our own man-made stuff, I, I don't think that's a hot idea. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? We smacked a comet with a machine, a big washing machine, basically. And what we see now is that we've broken off like all these like 25 pieces and they're floating in the air. And so now the scientists are like, well, we got to make sure that they're not going to hit us now. Good job, guys. Well done. Joel here prophesies further, man. He says, there's going to be these wonders in the skies and signs below on the earth. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 8, verse 22. This isn't just something that's coming in the future, but I want us to see here, and what I'm trying to aim at, you guys, is that this prophecy that Joel wrote hundreds of years prior, you guys, was something that he knew, yes, one day the Holy Spirit was going to fall, but that was going to be the beginning of the last days, because the other things Joel wrote, he was like, I don't know when that's going to happen. Well, I, he didn't know much, right, because he's, he's just a prophet. He's just there writing, and we know that the Bible says that they, they were like looking at some of this stuff and be like, I have no idea what that looks like. We still don't have any idea what some of this looks like. Joel didn't know exactly what that looked like at the moment, but he wrote it under the unction of the Holy Spirit. 
But Romans chapter 8, verse 22, this to me describes what we see right now. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Who, those of us who have the Holy Spirit residing inside of us, we realize we've accepted the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. We have eternal life to look forward to, and there is something in us now. If you were here today and you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. That you're like, man, Lord, I can't just wait. Can we just, can we just call this good? Right? Like Maranatha, Lord, come back. When I wake up, after now that I've broken my back and I wake up every morning and I'm like, oh God, please, for real. Like before I have to get out of this bed, I just put my arms up. Let's go. Verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, I'll put there, the redemption of our bodies. You guys, there's a groaning that is happening right now, not just in us, but on the earth, isn't there? We have earthquakes. We have weather events that are, I, are beginning to become more frequent. I need you all to hear this. Hear me on this. I am, do my very best to be as apolitical as possible. I'm not talking about politics. However you fall on that particular issue, here's the thing I think we can all agree on, and that's where I want to stand. The earth is a lot worse for its wear than it was a couple hundred years ago. Would you agree with that? The earth is not seemingly getting better. It seems like it's getting a little bit worse for wear the longer it goes. Would you all agree? So let's leave all the garbage outside. I'm not worried about any of that. What I am saying is, I know this. God created a perfect earth with perfect people, and we jacked it up. And before we get too hard on Adam and Eve, man, it would have been me. And y'all would have been like, oh, Jeremy, you suck. Somebody along the way would have screwed up because we're human, and we do stupid human things, don't we? And the reality is, you guys, is that God created this, but guess what? He was so gracious and merciful to us, you guys, that he didn't just say, fine, have your dirty, rotten sin and your dirty, rotten earth that is now decrepit and falling apart day by day, your DNA that is getting worse and worse and worse by the day. Guys, we have a lot more cancer now, and I, I know all these doctors are like, yeah, but we know more about cancer. Yes, we do, and that's awesome. Why do we know more about it? Because we've seen a lot more of it. Why do we keep seeing more of it? Well, we don't really know, but we do know because our DNA is getting worse and worse and worse. Each and every generation, we are in degradation because of sin, and God's so gracious. He's like, I'm not going to leave you here, y'all. I'm going to send my son to save you from this garbage, number one. But number two is, there's going to be a day when this all comes to a close. Verse 21. Let's finish up the first section. Flip back over with me to the book of Acts. Verse 21 says this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You guys, this first section of Peter's sermon we read all the stuff that the prophet Joel was saying, and the main point of all of what he was trying to get at was so that we would understand that in these last days, the main point is this, that all who call on or trust in or believe in the name of the Lord will be saved. The name of who? The Lord, not Mother Earth, not Buddha, not whatever you want to put there, not you, by the way. The Lord. The boss, the master, the one that gets to tell you what to do. 
There's a big difference because people are like, I believe in God. Mm -hmm, Yeah, because you're talking about you right now. You believe in you. That ain't going to get you nowhere. I've even said I believe in Jesus, and they're like, yeah, I believe that Jesus did walk the earth. Mm Mm-hmm, he did, but he was way more than that. He was either a liar or a lunatic, or he was the Lord. You've got to figure it out. And by the way, I keep saying that all the time. I want you all to know, look, that's not my genius thing. That's C.S. Lewis's genius thing, so I'm giving credit where it's due. But I love it because it's true. You got to deal with who Jesus is. I believe he is the Lord. I believe he was the son of God, man, God in flesh, who came down to dwell amongst us, to live a perfect life for us, to die on the cross and rise again as our perfect sacrifice, as our substitutionary atonement. And all the sheep said, amen. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the sheep. They didn't have to keep getting slaughtered, y'all. Come on. I'm talking about the sheep, too, all of us. You guys, there is nothing more sweet than knowing that the death and resurrection of Jesus happened so that we can be forgiven. There's nothing more amazing. There's no better news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. There's no better news. It's the thing we're supposed to be sharing with everybody. And the reality is, you guys, the Holy Spirit is our down payment. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit's our down payment. Like, we get grace and mercy where we deserve death and hell, and then he's like, here's a little extra something-something. Woo! And the Holy Spirit, as we submit our lives to him, you guys, he grows us. And so if you hear nothing else from this whole section of Scripture, I'm sorry, hear this, you guys. Trust God and the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, and you will be saved. Keep pressing in and submitting your lives, Christians, to God and to the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is God, right? He's the third person of the Trinity. Trust him. Submit your lives to him and watch him grow you up. Watch him change your life. Watch things that you used to struggle through and say, man, I don't want to keep doing that. Watch it fall away. Sadly, not all of it. Don't you wish it was all of it? Oh, boy. I wish, man. But God's gracious. We trust him and he keeps growing us and we become a clearer image of who Jesus wants us to be day by day by day. That's a fancy word called sanctification that we walk through day by day. Christians, here's the question I have for you. What does it look like for you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Here's the only thing we've learned. It requires a level of submission on our part. We have to say, God, I want that. Holy Spirit, move in me. We also learned, and we will continue to learn, what we see in Scripture, that it's a daily thing. It's a daily filling. The Holy Spirit's residing inside of you. That's not what I'm saying. It's not like he's like, all right, I'm out. You're going to sleep. I'll see you in the morning. You got to ask for me. No, he's residing inside of us for eternity. But the reality is, is that we leak, y'all. We're, we're, we're leaky vessels, right? And if you don't believe me, start having a conversation with someone without praying when you know it's going to be a hard one. And watch how quick the Holy Spirit's gone like completely out of your mouth. And what's coming out of your mouth is stuff that you don't want to say. How often have y'all had that happen? Me? I have, for sure. You need the Holy Spirit. Even in those moments, you need to be like, Holy Spirit, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. And you know what ends up happening when you're doing that? When you're truly just submitting your lives to the Holy Spirit? 
stuff comes out of your mouth that even you are like, dang, that was profound. And what are you saying? That wasn't me. Because I know what's up here. And what came out was something entirely different. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so you get to give God glory and honor in that moment. And God forbid you would be stupid enough to be like, oh, yeah. Whew, you better watch yourself. Let the Holy Spirit move through your life, y'all. Let him change you day by day. And it's a constant thing that you need, I need, we all need. What does it look like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life, Christian? Great question. Keep asking. And don't ask me. Ask God. He's the only one that's going to answer it. I can't answer that for you. I don't know what your day-to-day life looks like. Literally, you guys, I don't know what my day-to-day life looks like until I'm in the day. So it's a question I've got to ask him all the time. Lord, what does today look like? God, how, how do you want to use me today? I need you. I need you, Holy Spirit. Guide me. Walk, walk with me. Help me. We all need to be praying that. Last thing I want to say, if you're here today and you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you, you're like, ah, I don't know about this whole thing yet. Listen, I'm thankful that we are a church that isn't just full of a bunch of Christians. We got folks here that come and they're really blunt and honest with me and they're like, yeah, I don't know about this yet. Cool. Keep coming. Keep coming. If you're ready, though, understand this. You are a screwed up sinner. I'm not coming down on you because I am too. And it literally takes one to know one. And the only difference between someone that's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and someone that hasn't is that the one that hasn't still thinks they're going to somehow be good enough or figure it out on their own. And guess what? You're not. You can't. And when you come to that realization and you start saying, man, I need a Savior. I need something to save me. I'm telling you guys, it's Jesus And I'm speaking that with absolute 100% conviction in my heart because it was the day that I accepted him, that I said such a simplistic prayer, I suck at this, come and help me, that things began to change. And so if that's you here today, you don't need to, there's not some magic formula, but what the Bible tells us in Romans is that you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. That word believe there, you guys, is deeper than just saying like, I mentally assent to it or that I believe that Jesus was a person that walked the earth. It means this. All of my being holds on to that cross with both hands and my arms around it and saying, this is it, or I'm going to die. That's belief. And that's where I'm at. Sometimes, Christians, we need to be reminded that that's what it is. (laughs) Because we're like, I got my finger on the pulse there. I'm okay. You need to have your arms wrapped around the cross. Same way all of us do holding on for dear life. God's faithful. He's not going to leave you. I'm not, I'm not acting like that's the case. I'm saying, why wouldn't we? So if you're here today and you're not a believer and you're like, man, I, I want that, I want that, I want that, get it. It's not hard. You don't need to come up front. I sat in the parking lot of a church after the service and got it. God will meet you where you are. But confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you will be saved. That's it. I believe it. Trust that God paid for all of our sins through the person of Jesus Christ on that cross. And he is who he says he is. He rose again on the third day. Confess it with your mouth. Tell somebody. Grab somebody next to you. If you get saved today, 
Don't just leave it to yourself, man. Tell somebody. Grab somebody out and be like, hey, guess what? The best thing, grab some stranger. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome! (laughs) I'll be like, okay, that's cool. You guys, my encouragement for all of us Christians and folks that are just here is as we continue to dig through the book of Acts, I'm going to keep bringing us back to this. I want what the Holy Spirit wants for us. I want to be open to what the Holy Spirit has for us. I don't want craziness and emotionalism and whomping it up. I also don't want what I see here more often, which is stoicism and not being open to what the Holy Spirit wants at all because we're all set. I think both are equally wrong. What I want is what the Holy Spirit wants. And I think that's going to freak some people out. And that's okay. But if we're aiming at the Holy Spirit, we're digging into his word, I promise you two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit will never do anything that goes against his word because he is God and this is God's word. Second thing I promise you you is this. If your aim is to seek the Lord with a sincere heart, he will show up. And I want you all to notice, I've had a lot of replies to these messages in Acts already, and some people are like, why aren't you talking more about tongues? Why aren't you talking more about this gift? Why aren't you talking more about that? And then I have other people like, thank God you didn't bring up tongues. Thank God you didn't talk about this. That's, scratch all that. Can we just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to move how he wants to? Can you be open to that? And let's just leave it at that and trust him. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Father, that we can trust you, and Lord, that your word is true. And God, I thank you, Father, that even if our sincere aim is to just aim at you, Lord God, we know we're sinful human beings, and we're probably going to jack that up too somewhere along the way. And so, Lord, I thank you, Father, that we are not alone, Lord, that you correct us, Lord, that you bring uh, balance back, Lord, that you do those things. And Father, if our heart is sincere, Lord, we will sincerely find you. And you will sincerely work through us, Lord. And that fruit is so much richer and better and sweeter and more amazing, Lord, than that rotten, nasty fruit that we tend to try to bring up on our own, in our own flesh and in our own power, trying to reason people into heaven or doing whatever we're doing. God, work in us. Have your way in us. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be a church that would ask real questions, which are, how do you want to move in me today? What do you want to do in my life today? God, that we would understand that this filling of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural thing and you work supernaturally through it. And yet, God, you're so gracious to us. You don't just force us there, Lord. We know one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So, God, we're not going to be out of our own power or strength, God. We're going to be walking in your power and strength as we submit our lives to you. So, God, would you move and have your way in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.